This week, we welcome Zane Lackey, founder and chief security officer over at Signal Sciences. In our second feature interview for tonight's show, we welcome Lemore Elbaz, which I hope I pronounced correctly, the founder of Peerlist. Uh, Lemore is an entrepreneur and product evangelist, business development, and security expert. In the security news this week, hackers put airport security system access on the dark web, uh, a vulnerability or uh, actually a poisoned PDF package in Linux. Chrome defends from Spectre, and Cisco patches a bug in their VoIP phones. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Welcome. Does Larry have an introduction? Hi, everyone. This is Paul. That's the door, and I guess I'm, I'm introducing... <laughs> Apparently, I no longer do. Okay. <laughs> wow, and I look short. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I accidentally uh, landed in New England and uh, stumbled my way to the G-Unit studio. That's pretty much how I envisioned it happening. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> well, Carlos, ha- save the show, please. <laughs> yes, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> cannot be saved. Uh, well, it's good to have you back, Carlos. Jeff, welcome. Nice to have you in studio. It's great to be here, Paul. Try to stay awake for the whole episode. <laughs> yes. We've been in studio dropping his phone incessantly while we're chatting. What? We're... Oh, hey! I'm, I'm in the studio with you guys. That's kind of cool. Um, the average time between being hacked and realizing you've been hacked is one year. Can you afford to let an intruder roam your network for that long? Can your company weather the fallout when this comes to light? Black Hills Information Security can find the bad guys in your network and train you to do it yourself. Email consulting at blackhillsinfosec.com to find out how a hunt teaming engagement can help you find a persistent threat in your network. NetSparker, the developers of desktop and cloud-based web application security scanners that enable you to automatically identify vulnerabilities in your web applications and web services. NetSparker scanners employ a unique and dead-accurate vulnerability scanning engine that automatically verifies vulnerabilities with their proof of concept. For more information, visit them on the web at netsparker.com or email at contact at netsparker.com. And welcome to the show! It's good to be back. But first, let me introduce you to our host... He's a man who I've known to exclaim on more than one occasion, these cheese fries are gangster. Paul Sidori. Welcome, everyone, to Paul Security Weekly. This is episode 567. This is, in fact, Thursday, July 12th, 2018. And we are, Larry and I, anyhow, are at G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, broadcasting live and recording for all of prosperity to be posted on the internet. Oh, God, uh, I hope we're recording. Remember that first one? Ah, uh, yes. There's been a <laughs> lot of uh, first podcasts that uh, didn't get recorded, right? I think it's uh, 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 like a christening, like a good luck thing. Yes. Yeah. It's a rite of passage. It is. It comes out better the second time. It is. Um, That's of course, by the time you're at 567, hopefully it's better, although... That's debatable. So, um, a couple of quick announcements. We have a pool cabana. Actually, we have two pool cabanas. So, if you're attending Black Hat or DEF CON, we at Mandalay Bay will be at a pool cabana. Yep, for RSA. And Not the, for RSA, for, for Black Hat. It'd be kind of cold at RSA yeah, to have a would, pool cabana. Uh, yeah. It's hot in Vegas. So, at Mandalay Bay, Black Hat, and Caesars Palace for DEF CON, we'll be in the pool area. So, I mean, like, bring your swimsuits and stuff. Now, we've also got a very special 
uh, giveaway in, in Project. Uh, many of you heard Gary Berman and uh, Tom Brennan come on the show. Gary's the author of this really cool comic book, right? The Cyber Adventures comic book. And it's all about, you know, security awareness and, and raising awareness and, and educating people about cybersecurity issues. Sorry for lack of a better term. I said cyber a lot there, but you can get your free copy. Uh, we've got like our little logo and description on the inside cover. Um, <clears throat> you will get a free copy of that. Gary will be spending some time with us at the pool uh, and signing some copies as well. So that'll be available nice. uh, exclusively if you come visit us at the pool. It can be a great to take back to your coworkers and or family or friends. Nice. And now, just a cool thing to have. Now, that said, is there also any t-shirt sales going on inside? or is Yes. There- in the vendor area at DEF CON, we will be selling t-shirts, shot glasses, as well as giving away some stuff. I don't know if we're going to sell. We bought the computer glasses. Oh. We might give a select amount of those away, and then they'll be for sale nice. in the, uh, at the booth for a lot less money than you buy gunners for because nice. there's cheaper versions of gunners. So... If you want to test our computer glasses, <clears throat> we will have some for sale. Of course, stickers will be there as well. Uh, and books, Offensive Countermeasures book, and Alan White's Blue Team Field Manual nice. will be for sale uh, at our booth. So, you know, come check it out for sure. It'll nice. be a lot of fun. Alrighty, Zane Lackey has joined us. He is no stranger to the Security oh, wait, Weekly Network. Wait. You forgot two people that are on. Oh, thank you, Larry. <laughs> thank you, Larry. I'm glad we count for something. You do. Uh, you do in my mind, guys. I, I guess Keith is here on the lines via Skype. I suppose it's okay. He's okay. No, I'm just kidding, Keith. Welcome, Keith Hoodlet on the lines via Skype. Thank you for joining. Good eye, Paul. How's it going? <laughs> uh, now I'm really confused. Joff Thayer is also on the jo- lines via Skype. Joff, st- stop moving. You're, you're throwing your weight balance off. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, wait. Uh, yeah, your head's uh, really shiny. Yeah. Uh, g'day, Paul. My name's not Key. <laughs> That's, wow. Thanks for that, guys. <laughs> Love you. So, okay, now we have Zane Lackey here with us. <laughs> Zane, welcome to Security Weekly. How are you? Hey, thanks. It's good to be here. I'm not uh, even going to attempt an Australian accent or anything. That just, uh, it ends terribly for everybody. Yeah, accents kind of go bad when I try them as well. So I, I try and stay clear. <laughs> it, it looks like you're in like a pub. Are you in a pub? Oh, that'd be awesome, man. That'd be, expect like a World Cup replay going on yeah. right here or something. Uh, no, I'm in a phone booth, but... Uh, it could use a bar, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> what else are they going to do with those phone boots, right? They might as well they take the phones out. You, you, you know, you put some... Uh, I mean, exactly. Yeah. It's, if you're not going to put a bar in there, really, what's the point of having the phone booth in the first place? Is the phone booth <laughs> at Signal Science's like, headquarters? Like, Do you guys have a phone booth in, in your office? No, we, we've got a bunch of different phone rooms in uh, headquarters. I'm in New York today, so I'm actually uh, stopped in a WeWork right now just to get a, a quiet place to do a, a call. Um, but, uh, yeah, the office has, has a few different cool things in it. I was going to say, I, that reminded me very much of one of the phone cubicles at one of the WeWork offices. And yep, I was right. There you go. <laughs> it's awesome. Hey, maybe we can all band together and ask for bars in, uh, in all of them. There you well, go. Well, don't you have the, don't you have the, um, uh, the bar out front with the beer and the kombucha? True. Yeah. If I just get up and disappear at any point during this interview, we'll come <laughs> it's back you got beer, a beer. you're going to see, you're going to know why. <laughs> So I, I suppose we should talk about web application security, although I, I think redesigning oh, sure. uh, rented office <laughs> cubicles is a much better topic and more fun um, <laughs> in, in some ways. But, 
Zane, you and I were talking earlier, and I wanted to address some of the challenges and, and some of the things that we've heard, you and I uh, collectively, that we've heard from enterprise uh, businesses, uh, their security teams, about some of their challenges with protecting web applications. Now, certainly, like we could do an entire podcast on application security. Oh, wait. No, wait. We, we, we do that. And Keith, <laughs> Keith is here. Every um, Monday, in fact. Yes, Paul. Every Monday <laughs> afternoon. Every Monday afternoon, Application Security Weekly. But I wanted to talk about some of the like technical challenges and, and concerns that the various security teams have when they're implementing some type of web application uh, protection. And I think the, the first concern, certainly from the security team and likely the operations team, is on deployment. Like, how do I deploy some kind of protection? Like, is it a WAF oh, yeah. on the network? Does it live in the application? Does it hook the container? Like, I've got, in a lot of enterprises, right, they've got not just two development teams, maybe they've got 30 or 40, and they're dealing with thousands of applications. So deployment, it brings forth some very interesting technical challenges. Oh, yeah. I mean, at, at enterprise scale, you have every different technology. You've got different business units, different acquisitions that you might have totally different political relationships with. I mean, at, at enterprise scale, deployment is the challenge, for sure. Mm. Um, it's something that I, in my previous CISO role, dealt with a bunch as we had different acquisitions coming in and different teams operating very autonomously and everything like that. It was really that the, you know, the, old, uh, the old model uh, where we had, you know, physical appliances sitting off a spam port in the data center. Uh, it works for how we used to run infrastructure and applications, but you that, you flash forward to how an enterprise is today, and you've got folks operating, you know, some teams in the cloud, other teams looking at containerization and things like that, other teams still in data centers, and you need something that was actually flexible enough to be able to cover all of that. And that was really the position I found myself in, which is that there was looking around on the market, especially across like the legacy WAF vendors that I... I had in place for the time, none of them were really stepping up to meet that whole deployment challenge. Yeah, and I mean, <clears throat> there's even challenges if you have a traditional architecture, right, in that deployment, just scalability there. And then I think we like to think that everyone's using containers now because we've been talking about it more and more. And we're just like, oh, well, deployment gets easy. Like if you're, you know, you're doing DevOps and you have a container environment, like you just hook the container and it, it's part of your, your, your DevOps tool chain. And you're off to the races and enterprises today, I think as Zane's pointed out, like they're starting to use it, but I think very few large shops are really like, you can't just flip a switch and go, Hey, look, I put everything in. you like containers so much? I put all of your containers inside containers. It's awesome. What is this <laughs> utopia that you speak of, Paul? And where right? does it exist? <laughs> right? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. it, it, Yo, it, dog, it, I heard you like containers. So I put containers in your containers. containers. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but I, I think there's, you know, a lot of uh, technical challenges, such as do you proxy it? And if you're building it into something, like logistically, how do you how do you do that, right? And, and yeah. get that out into all of your environments and make sure that it stays there. Yeah, I mean, what I found at, at Etsy in my previous CISO role and then flash forward to today, Signal Sciences, uh, but vendor alert there. Uh, was that we really needed, we needed optionality, right? We needed something that was flexible enough that I could drop in regardless of the technical architecture, regardless of if it's a super forward-leaning team that's operating inside containers and public cloud, 
or a different team that's kind of taking the infrastructure as a service approach and maybe maybe that's in public cloud or maybe it's in kind of private cloud and then teams that are still you know making minimal changes to kind of legacy applications still you know operating in our data centers and have no immediate plans to move what the biggest shift that i really saw that i had to live through and kind of lived very painfully was we had to go from that hardware-based model to a pure software-based model and not the kind of oh, let's just go make a VM of the hardware mm. appliance that my vendors were really trying to sell me. Like I needed something that was very software native and that I could drop in and plug into the application or into the web server or function as a software reverse proxy or sit inside the platform as a service offering that teams were looking at. I needed real optionality and real flexibility there. And that was really, we had to learn that lesson very painfully and build a bunch of technology in-house at Etsy. And then that was, kind of one of the, the key facets of the founding story of Signal Sciences is, is you know, we really saw so many of our peers seeing the same challenges, uh, and then we, we stepped out to actually turn that into a product. Keith, do you have comment, questions? I know this is an area that you work in and, uh, you know, of course, the primary host for our uh, Application Security Weekly show. Yeah, uh, I guess the biggest question that I have is, um, you know, when you're working with those companies that are trying to to build this model itself, right? So they don't necessarily yeah. have the DevOps model today, but they want to. Um, what does that look like maybe, you know, to start? Do you ever work with those companies that they want this, but they don't know where it's going to fit inside of their, their tool chain or, or what have you? Uh, and then from there... How do you do you see signal sciences taking those companies and saying, okay, you guys are doing great now, um, but this is what it could look like depending on you know your needs or your abilities. So maybe you work with those customers oh, yeah. that are really forward leaning, like say Netflix, for example, is a an example of a company that's really forward leaning. Um, how do you how do you cover that gamut of, of you know different companies doing different things? Totally, and it really. Um we really see both sides of that spectrum actually are our customers today. So the ones that are at the absolute leading edge of that kind of DevOps and cloud movement, uh, their customers, which is really exciting. And then we have a number of customers who are just at the absolute very beginning of their cloud journey and DevOps journey. And they've got us running in, you know, classic kind of waterfall data center applications. Um, I think really what everyone's facing is the same challenge that we faced in-house at CISOs ourselves, which was that our legacy lasts, whether that was, you know, Imperva or F5 or Akamai, we were running into so many challenges with them that were causing us so many political nightmares internally that they're, they're really looking for, what we see with our clients is they're really looking for a new approach on that. Um, and sometimes that coincides with their journey into DevOps and cloud. Other times they're just excited that they can solve those massive last headaches that they've had for the last several years. And then they're excited that saying, okay, and this is something that's going to support us on our, you know, 24 month journey here to bring some of our applications in the cloud. They're still going to actually work with all of that, but it's by no means a prerequisite of what we see. We see a lot of our customers still in data centers, actually, and they're just, they're looking to solve the classic WAF challenges that we've all lived through and those massive pain points. If only not Kevin was here oh. to hear us talking <laughs> about WAF. He's, he gets so excited when, when he, we talk about WAF. Well, because the solution to everything is put a WAF, put in, a WAF front in front of it. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> drop some WAF on it. Yeah, exactly. That's see, Zane, you're channeling, not Kevin now. Yeah, so <laughs> here to help. As a follow-up question to that, though, uh, especially for for what you guys are protecting against, right? Um, do you ever see you know the detections that you have and the blocking that you're doing lead to actual changes inside of the organization to say, hey, look, you're getting attacked in this way, and then suddenly you see the companies turn around and say, oh my God, we're getting attacked. We need to actually start doing application security now. Is that like something that you've encountered before? And, and if it if it is, 
Um, how have you seen that change kind of the way that your companies that you work with behave? Yeah, it's there's kind of two sides of that question of around like kind of the blocking and all that, and then the real vision, which is on the visibility and the behavior change and everything there. Um, the blocking side, I mean, the dirty secret of whack that we've all known through all of our careers, right, is that you never actually get the whack into blocking mode, right? You go put it in monitor mode, you show the auditor that it's there, and then you turn it off as fast as possible before it actually breaks real traffic. Um, the exciting and crazy statistic uh, that we get to share that I don't expect anyone to believe, because if I saw a vendor on a podcast saying this, I wouldn't believe them. Uh, but it's that 95% of our customers are in full blocking mode for their production traffic with no learning, with no tuning, none of that, um, which is a really, it's a metric that we're particularly proud of. Uh, but then that leads into the, the back half of your question, which is now really affecting behavior change, which is we all as security teams are so underwater that we need ways that can kind of bring security visibility to our application teams and our DevOps teams and give them visibility and really do it in a way that hopefully kind of starts to change behavior and makes them more kind of focused on security. And that's been actually some of the most, you know, uh, just personally rewarding feedback that we've gotten from security teams is we've had that situation happen with our clients multiple times. They've been able to put, you know, drop us in and then bring the visibility to the directly to the application teams and give them dashboards and, and kind of insights and plugging into their DevOps tool chain or their logging tool chain or anything there so that they can start to really own the security health of their own services. And we've seen folks come back and say, oh, you know, this part of the, the service, we never expected anybody to attack. So we weren't prioritizing any of the findings that you, the security team, had sent us. And then they start to see real attacks there and they can go back to the security team and they say, hey, we're actually going to prioritize in our next sprint some of those issues that you raised with us because we're actually seeing real people go there. It's not just the security team, you know, yelling about, you know, there's going to be threats. Uh, they're actually able to see real data. I think the the biggest comparison, actually, I think is really with um, teams that have deployed any of the, the performance monitoring tools. So Datadog, New Relic, AppDynamics, any of those, and how it's able to really bring capabilities to the application team so that they can start to look into the performance health of their services. They're using us in the same way, but for security. Zane, I, I want to uh, segue from that and talk about um, another issue with, um, I think, both accuracy and <clears throat> kind of overcoming the um, challenges that we've had with WAF. And I think you were kind of describing some of the differences between the technologies today and why when we look at uh, WAF and maybe RASP technologies, why we're like, why is it so difficult to, uh, to tune it, to trust the accuracy uh, of those products? And can, can you just speak to that? You talked about regular expressions and, you know, versus those approaches. I think yeah. that's important because as practitioners, we're like, like, really, like, why doesn't that work that way? And when you said, well, yeah, it's like regular expressions trying to be applied to every request. I was like, wow, that resonates with me. Why, why is that? Yeah, I mean, let me share a very painful and embarrassing story on this, uh, which was a time that I caused a, a pretty sweet outage across Etsy uh, because I had turned on one of our legacy WAFs in blocking mode. Um, and it decided that any request that contains the word or contained the words union and select must be SQL injection because those, those words are in there. So it has to be, you know, the, their regexes and their signatures lit off on that. Um, what it was, was select the union jack flag at checkout 
And so he turned that on and broke the entire UK. Oh, no. Uh, and if you want to have a fun story to share with the business, uh, it's why you flatlined all graphs for an entire geography uh, because you turned on a, a wax. Um, that, was, that was a fun Tuesday morning, let me tell you. Mm. Um, and it really started to inspire a lot of this kind of shift in the way to think about detection and, and coverage on the wax side of things. And I think the, you know, the, the biggest parallel exactly to kind of the way that you were alluding there is that um, the way that we think about that model is kind of in the same way that like Carbon Black and CrowdStrike and Silence and these modern endpoint protection tools change the problem on that side, which is you used to have kind of legacy AV that tried to bundle a bunch of signatures and, and regexes into a super heavyweight client and then try to make a ton of decisions on the fly there. And the problem is that's a, that's a really tough problem, uh, to put it mildly. And so you saw on the endpoint side of things, they went to a model that said, look, let's make the agent much more lightweight. Let's make it you know, intelligent, but really lightweight. And let's have it kind of communicate with a cloud backend where it can get smarter and smarter over time and really leverage kind of the best of both worlds there. And that's one of the reasons why you see this kind of modern approach to AV being much more effective. Obviously, you know, I'm doing this from a 30,000 foot view and there's a bunch of specific reasons in there. Mm -hmm. But what we do on the signal sciences side, and even forgetting signal sciences here, but just talking about a modern way of doing this is adopting that same sort of philosophy and saying, look, rather than having a big, heavy legacy WAF try to sit there and apply 10,000 regexes to every request, let's have a really lightweight agent um, that's not causing performance impact, that's not causing reliability issues. And let's have it kind of communicate in a, in a way with the cloud backend where it can continuously get smarter over time and get more and more intelligence over time and leverage that same sort of model. And so that's what we actually do in, in our approach. And that's really what, regardless of signal sciences, I think that's the modern way to think about defending web applications is adopting that same sort of model so that you can get a much more intelligent approach there uh, rather than trying to bundle 50,000 regexes into a super heavyweight agent that kills your performance and your reliability and you with false positives. And you know what's uh, kind of upsetting is that I think in both approaches, that whether it's 50,000 regexes or like the cloud-based approach, they're both trying to call it machine learning. And what, what we've learned to, to dice through is, no, those that are actually applying machine learning and making it practical and usable and not just using a marketing term are the ones that are actually able to help people improve security in their organizations. Oh, absolutely. I, I think if we each say machine learning three times in a row, we summon a VC in a term sheet. Right, yeah. Beetlejuice, <laughs> Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> exactly. Wait a minute. We need some blockchain in there, guys. Yeah. Come on. Let's yeah, blockchain, oh, man. Learning. Well, you got to do something with all your AI. That's for sure. And, uh, you know, that's right. In the cyber, cyber, cyber. But I, and we joke, though, Zane, but uh, artificial intelligence isn't, I mean, that's not what we're talking about, right? We're talking about analyzing right. data and deriving some conclusions from that data and then applying that knowledge, giving it to the lightweight agent that's in your, your application. That's exactly it, right? Shifting from that signature and regex-based model to actually looking with much more context and really kind of taking a tokenization-based approach and everything there and combining that with real cloud intelligence where it can look across everything and get a more accurate picture of what's going on, right? If you think about, even forget WAF here entirely, just think about anything that's constrained to one box sitting in one data center. Well, that made sense when that was our entire footprint. But, you know, you're an enterprise, you have a million different data centers, you have applications in different environments. And for one given, you know, large scale app, it might be served out of 
a half a dozen data centers around the world, plus some cloud components and everything there. And so if it's just trying to make decisions on only having one small uh, view of the picture versus kind of taking a cloud approach where it can stitch everything together and really get much more context, it's pretty obvious which is going to just inherently be able to make a better decision. So Zane, quickly, uh, I think the the third primary concern, right? So I I identified three concerns, and who knows they mm-hmm. may turn into like some kind of blog post or something. Zane and I were kind of comparing notes, and I'm like, look, I'm like, people's concerns with web application protection are usually deployment, um, the accuracy and tuning, which which we touched on a little bit, uh, and but then performance, right? Yeah. They're like, if I put this in my app, is it is it going to make it slower? Like they're very concerned about that, and and rightfully so, because anything that's looking at traffic and making decisions could potentially impact performance and other piece of and software so, running on the system. In some cases, have, it's my developers are so bad they can't write an efficient web app to save their lives. If this makes it yeah. slower... So it makes performance even more oh. of an issue, right? But we've got to have something because they can't code a web app to save their lives. <laughs> <laughs> Help me! No, totally. I mean, and this, I think, applies to any new tool you bring into the organization, sure. right? You speak to any security person who's done a rollout of a new product inside the organization and whenever a performance issue happens for the next six months yep. that's the first thing to get blamed right and so could not agree more about that point like like we were talking about before um i really think there's kind of two ways in which you solve that problem and which helped me internally as a CISO whenever i saw vendors taking this approach um i'd say the first is you got you have to do it architecturally right you really have to have an architecture that doesn't just say oh, trust us, we won't crash and we won't break anything. Like, that doesn't fly. Mm. But you need architecture that kind of is provably fail-open, has components that are entirely designed to be able to make hard guarantees around performance and reliability and show, you know, from an architectural perspective, even if everything goes wrong, here is the impact. And that impact can't be that the customer traffic goes down. It has to be, okay, here's a fail-open strategy. Here's how you're going to be alerted but not impacted and all of that. And then the other side is really visibility into this, right? Because you can't have a black box deployment. You really need to be able to say, look here, and this is actually an approach we, we take in signal sciences, but this is really abstract and applies to any kind of modern security tooling. You need to provide visibility into the performance of your own software there. And so we really, we actually have a whole separate set of dashboards that customers can look at that just show the performance on the box of both the agent and the, the box in general. And so, you know, when, you deploy and then two months down the line, the team comes to you and says, hey, we're having performance issues. It must be that new security thing that you deployed. You can actually show real data and say, nope, look, it's not. We've actually got visibility into this. Here's the architecture that shows that exactly the issue you're having can't even happen here. And we've got the data to actually show it. And I think that's what we're as security practitioners, that's what we're, that's kind of the modern approach that we're all really hoping for in our modern tooling is that we need sensible defaults and sane architectures, but we need data and visibility to back it up so that so that when that conversation inevitably happens, we're not just walking in and saying, trust us, we can actually show real data there. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I've seen those dashboards. They're very nice, by the way. Oh, oh man, thank I, you, man. I, I mean, <laughs> and at the same time, I think I got buzzword bingo with, uh, through that whole segment. I've got every single, I think we have cloud. <laughs> Security and I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. We got AI. We got you know. I think the only thing we missed was some blockchain in there, right? No, I think we said oh, we said. Right. Right. Oh, we did. We did. Right. Yeah. You're right. Larry got the blockchain. <laughs> Use some AI and put some WAF in front of your blockchain. <laughs> there we go. Oh, <laughs> I think so, I, I think if we formed a company, someone would invest. Like right now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. What, putting WAF in front of your blockchain? Yes. Wow. And so I, actually have a quick question about, uh, you know, after you've implemented your, you've got the ability to show, yeah, it's not us when it comes to performance, right? Like you can kind of call out those things. Um, what does the feedback model look like to get problems back to development, right? So whenever you're looking at a DevOps, uh, you know, process, it's always uh, fast, you know, uh, pushing of code or, or moving forward, uh, rapid feedback and then continuous learning. And so. Uh, I'm I'm curious to know as well uh, what the feedback models or the feedback loops look like because to that end it's going to provide value to your developers even after they've written your potentially bad web application. Keith, it kind of oh, oh. it kind of sounds like like you're shopping or something, Keith. I, I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny that I happen to be shopping, but uh, even still, um, I, I personally, I mean, it's its one of the things that's funny, you, you laugh, but um, this is quite literally my Bible. I'm holding up the DevOps handbook for those people that can't see it. Yes, it in fact has tabs on the side of all the different things that is going on. Uh, and, and I really do truly believe that a DevOps model is the way forward for most companies. And so part of that means, you know, rapid feedback or, or to be able to get the things that you need back to development so they fix stuff. Because uh, that's really where it's at at the end of the day. So I, I want to know. <laughs> I, I totally agree. Um, and I think that this is one of, I think this is one of the biggest uh, kind of existential shifts that's happening in security, but security in general, but security products and security tooling specifically, which is that, Security tooling for the past 20 years has been by and large uh, meant to be consumed by security experts. And then it kind of gets kicked over the fence to development. And that feedback loop, I mean, if we're being honest with ourselves, uh, has not worked that well, right? It's been really tough from both sides. And so what I really, one of the hallmarks I would say that I look for of kind of modern security tooling when that I'm bringing into my, my own organization to defend my, my own stuff. Um, is really around security tooling that can meet developers and meet DevOps teams where they already are. And a lot of that is just starting with plugging into the tools that they're already using. Right? So we actually, in, in our own platform, we end up seeing our, some of our most commonly used integrations being uh, Slack, PagerDuty, Jira, Datadog, and then on the other side of things, Splunk and Elk, and then some of the, the, the classic uh, Sims as well. Um, but you have to be able to meet, like what identifies a, a modern security tool to me is one that can actually meet the teams where they already are so that you're not trying to impose more work on them and saying, oh, you have to remember to go check this thing once a week. No one's got time for that. You have to be able to say, hey, we're going to be able to send your team an alert in Slack or trigger a, a ticket being created in Jira. So it's already part of your workflow. And exactly to your point, you know, really creating that feedback loop, whether they're embracing DevOps or not, it's about meeting development teams and, and ops teams or DevOps teams where they are and in the tools that they already use so that you can empower them with information that's very relevant from the security side, but they're not, you're not asking them to do more work to go get it. Paul, it's almost like he listens yeah, totally, to application totally security weekly. DevOps handbook there and, and the premise. Yeah, see, so, <laughs> so, Zane's in the know, man. Like so, he's been doing this stuff for a long time. So, so. Keith and Zane, I, question, <laughs> because I, I haven't seen it a lot. Uh, and I think maybe this goes to, you know, Keith, your comment about this is where I think a lot of folks want to be. And, and this may be a little bit off off, uh, off tangent, a little bit off reservation, so to speak. But how many folks are do you guys encounter that are actually using Slack for security-type notifications as part of their daily workflow? Zane, feel free it, to go first. Well, uh, I've seen a few, okay. but uh, I, I comment on that after. I Yeah, I, I see a mix. I, I'd say it's... Um, Slack in particular 
tends to align pretty heavily with kind of where they're at on a cloud or DevOps journey. Like the further that they are on that is more likely that uh, Slack is in there. Uh, I tend to see Jira much more common across the spectrum. Uh, and then I see PagerDuty a fair amount uh, kind of mixed in there as well. Slack tends to come in when they're a little bit further in the journey. Um, and then other times you'll see, I think this was part of your question as well is, you know, is it the, the development teams using it or is it the security teams using it? And I tend to see the development teams um, gravitate to Slack much faster than the security teams do. Mm -hmm. um, but that I've seen the reverse in organizations as well, where the, the security teams are all in on something like that and the development teams haven't picked it up yet. And so, you know, there's, I'd say there's no rule. There's just kind of the broader set of data that, that we're seeing there. Okay, good. Because, yeah, yeah I, I, and I, I question that because, you know, for, for me, uh, you know, when I specifically think about the security side, when you move to a, a cloud-hosted based service, and then you're going to dump all of your security alerts in a cloud-hosted based service that's potentially shared on infrastructure between a whole bunch of folks. <laughs> that makes me have some questions. <laughs> So I, I think the reason that people do it, though, Larry, quite frankly, is because Slack has a lot of really great automation built into it. Uh, so um, the alerting, the ability to kind of do like, um, you know, one touch and not necessarily one touch fixing, but like going and getting all the details or additional details or running bots that will then start to show you the automated chain that is taking place as a result of the alert that you received. Right. So. To, to mirror what Zane said, I, I would agree that most companies, as they move closer to that, you know, cloud native model or DevOps model are probably using Slack. But, um, you know, I would say that some of the enterprise organizations that I have spoken with, uh, you know, in my history working in um, vendor space, I guess you would say, and now no longer in vendor space is um, some companies will, will gravitate toward more of what their business is using. So if they're a heavy Microsoft shop, mm -hmm. they're probably using SharePoint. They're probably using Microsoft Teams. They're probably using, you know, a whole host of uh, Microsoft products like Office 365, et cetera, right? Can we say um, Skype for business? Oh, no, you can't. Yeah. Um, so no. that you still sometimes see that, which is scary and sad. Um but but still, wait I would say and that hold it, on. I just it, another so Slack is used for more than just Giphy, like Im image. <laughs> believe it or not, Paul. Yes, uh, you know I should teach you the ways of Slack. Uh, you know we can have a conversation after. Oh no, I love next. Slack because it gives me the facility to use Giphy and upload memes. I, that's <laughs> really just and and I like it because of some of that automation. I'm j just questioning for a, for a while. You had some great automation, but. When you put it in its own channel, it was awesome. <laughs> oh yeah, we had some social media, you know, alerting coming. I, I just, I, I, I couldn't. It, there wasn't enough benefit there, and right. to, and that's I, again why I find it interesting that uh, you know enterprise teams are using it because I'm like, I've tried to use it to help our business, and it's not really alignment, and we just kind of use it for communication and silly things. But obviously, there's some great use cases on the enterprise there side. Are, there are some uh, for, huge, do, for doing that. Huge use so, cases. Yeah. And now that I think about it, when you're on a development team, there usually is some type of, well, back not too long ago, it was Jabber, right? Was it yep. Jabber or Jabber. Silk? Jabber or Silk. Yep. And then before yep. that, it was IRC, yep. right? Was, was the big, and, but now it's really just Slack, so. Slack. Admittedly, I've, I've even seen it used by sales teams, believe it or not, right? So like celebrating a, a win of receiving a purchase order or, um, you know, following up with uh, things that are connected out into Salesforce, for example. There's what? What do those Giphy images look like? <laughs> uh, celebration. <laughs> I'll I'll I, I, I think there was one that showed up in our channel. Something about being lit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. But yeah. 
Sorry, I, say, I totally derailed you, Keith, which is yeah, one of my favorite. It's one of my this. favorite pastimes. <laughs> what you would probably see, <laughs> Paul, is there are, there are probably pockets with inside of large organizations that are using Slack and aren't supposed to be using Slack. Yes. It's, it's kind yes. of the other thing, right? There's definitely uh, those those teams that are using Shadow IT here. So, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, so Zay, not to get uh, nostalgic, right? But when we first started working together, that is our organizations respectively, uh, I think you guys were just going for your Series A. Yeah, at, at the time. Yeah, that's. Yep. And that's I, right. I, I really truly feel like, and I, I believe I don't say this about every company in our industry, right? Like you guys have just like skyrocketed and have just continued this like monstrous growth uh, in the industry. And I know this isn't like a business security weekly or whatnot, but I just want to point that out for our our larger audience. You know, we, we tried to keep this more technical, but. Like your story is really cool and just a continuing Thanks, journey. Man. just like awesome. And I see that in all the people I, I speak with in our industry and in our community, like you guys have just been knocking out of the park. Like what, how, how did you, how'd you do that? Like what's the, what's the secret to your success? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you so much. And we've got a long way to go uh, for sure. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think the trait that, that we have that I look that I've always looked for in the vendors that I really want to work with is we come from being back practitioners, right? Yeah. Like the reason that we built Signal Sciences is because we had the same problem that so many of our peers have had around legacy last in the past. And we finally got so fed up uh, that we built something in-house and we finally decided, hey, we're going to bite the bullet and become vendors ourselves because we really care about solving these problems and we really feel so many of our peers going through the same thing. And so I think that like some of the best vendors I've ever worked with, right? Like Duo and um, uh, Hurumir's uh, Canary and, yep. uh, you know, all sorts of all sorts of really interesting folks come from being practitioners. And that's kind of the, the best screening method I do because we all get, you know, uh, uh, just avalanche of vendor email, uh, everyone. Even me, the CISO of a vendor, I still get a million vendor emails a day. Oh, I, um, I, can, the, I can do you one better, dude. We're registered yeah. as press and media for Black Hat. I get probably oh, 25 man. emails a day. I, do you want to meet with this person, that <laughs> I person? I it. And it, what's nice now is, and it, just a comment what you're saying, like uh, Security Weekly is built the same way, right? Like we're practitioners. Yeah. We still are practitioners today. Mm-hmm. And now we get to kind of cherry pick which vendors that we want to take briefings with, that we want to, uh, you know, meet and interview. So, uh, and it's kind of nice, and and I think that your point of the company being formed by practitioners is something that would attract me when I see 25 emails a day from from Blackhead. When I go research those companies, I want ones that are people who've been in there. They understand and relate to their customers in a way that they've been in the trenches together. So, yeah. Oh, that's exactly it. And you, you kind of beat me to the punchline there of why I enjoy my conversations with with you guys so much is like it's great when you get to actually have real conversations with other practitioners, right? Because we're all facing the same stuff. And the, the more that we can help each other, the better. Um, and, and, and it's probably it's always a, my favorite conversation. A great time to remind our audience that in the pool area at Mandalay Bay, Signal Sciences will be next to us. Oh. The whole reason we have a pool cabana is because last year Sam came to me and said, I was just out at the pool and Signal Sciences has a cabana. And I was, and I'm like, yes. Like, she didn't have to finish this. And I'm like, I know where you're going. And I'm like, totally yes. Like, next year. And she was like, so for both Black Hat and, and I'm like, yes, for both conferences. So at Black Hat, we'll be next to uh, Signal Sciences. So when you get to uh, visit us or visit Signal Science, you know, visit us at the pool, uh, you'll also have Signal Sciences right next door so you can stop by and, 
uh, and have a chat, which is great. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to hanging out by the pool, and we all get to escape the vendor area that way. Yes, so we all get to go uh, hang out and have a good time there. And and Zane's going to be wearing a speedo. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. What? <laughs> Him too? <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> we've now got, I'm really you know, glad that I'm going to miss this. We've got some Security <laughs> Weekly branded Speedos that we're thinking about printing up, Zane. So, you know. There we go. <laughs> do, do, they, do they say Twitchy pwned my box? <laughs> no, I was telling them about that. That goes way back in, uh, in history. Yes. Hey, in in some countries, Speedos are acceptable. Okay, Joff, <laughs> seriously, they'll leave your Speedo at home. Just saying love you and all, but... <laughs> oh, they're acceptable, I make, but I make that for the last time, look they're good. not acceptable on stage. You have to be wearing them at the pool. Right. Yes, <laughs> not at the conference. That would be hilarious, though. Ellie tells me. <laughs> <laughs> now, let's see if Joff's memory holds up for, uh, for you know, Black Hat Defcon. Joff, uh, Joff won't, be there, won't be there, though. No, I'm not gonna be there this year. Yeah. I I gotta I gotta put Black Hat on my list one of these years. Maybe next year. Zane will. And uh if those are folks are interested in signal sciences, uh I believe it's still you have to set up a demo, right, Zane? There's no kind of free thing people can mess around with. They gotta contact your sales team essentially. Yeah, contact, but uh I, I promise for whatever it's worth, we're not gonna beat you with a million cyber cyber sales things or anything like that. Like you jump straight into a demo as soon as you contact us and have a good conversation there. That's and, something and we've I, kind of prided ourselves on. Yeah, and, and I've seen the demo. It's 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 awesome. It's not it's not painful. It's you believe me. It's it's worth it's worth your time. If you had these problems that we discussed, mm-hmm. certainly worth your time to to check out. Especially if you're evaluating, like, should I do a WAF? I know not Kevin's really big on the WAF, but you know, if you're looking at a WAF or RASP or any of these newer. Uh, or even older uh, technologies and methods to protect your web application. Any it's, it's technologies and method- methods. Yes, even if it's a WAF, like not Kevin loves. <laughs> <laughs> Zane <Exactly>. Lackey, <laughs> thank you so much for appearing on this episode of Paul Security Weekly. Hey, thanks so much for having me. It's absolutely great to see you guys, and this is some of the most, the most fun conversation I get to have, so I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Yay. Zane. With that, we can take a short break, come back with our next <laughs> featured guest. Stay tuned. 